2: Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
0: Welcome to this episode of Gone Medieval from History Hit. I'm Matt Lewis. A stunning find made by two metal detectorists has hit the news over this last week. The tiny gold book has images of two saints on its open pages and a hole running all the way through it. So what might it be? Who might it have belonged to? And how did it end up in the ground in Yorkshire? All these questions I'll be asking to Buffy and Ian, the lucky discoverers of this beautiful piece. Thank you very much for coming to share this exciting story with us. Oh,
1: Thank you for having us.
0: Thank you. I mean, first off, I guess, congratulations. It must be a metal detectorist's dream to find something like this.
1: Yes, it's certainly beyond anything that I ever expected to find. I was just always very, very happy just to be metal detecting, finding bits of rubbish and all sorts. It's just being outside, and if you find anything historical, it's amazing, but I would never have dreamt of finding something as It's
3: the, the holy amazing. grail of metal detecting. I
1: think it is, yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> No. (laughs) The Holy Grail is the Holy Grail.
3: (laughs) Well, it should be the Ark of Covenant, really. (laughs) That's a line from the (laughs) detectorists.
0: Are you interested in a particular period of history? Do you go looking for anything in particular or do you have quite a general interest?
1: No, I have a general interest in all history. I mean, I wasn't really interested in history at school at all or throughout my life until I started metal detecting. And then for every piece you find that's distinguishable, that you can actually see what it is, especially if it's like a hammered coin or something, and you have the monarch on it and you can find out the date. And then you look it up and you find out all about them and their life. And and it's just fascinating and everything that you find and eventually it all kinds of joins up. It's it's amazing. I'm interested in all of it. So each of these finds
0: is like a little entry to a rabbit hole for you. Yeah, 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 it is. Yeah,
3: yeah, Medieval finds. Really. They're my favourites, especially the coins. I was quite naive when I started metal detecting. I understood there was coinage around. It was quite obvious, but I didn't realise how they were made, how they no. were struck by hand.
1: No, I didn't even know what a hammered coin was. And I saw, because we, we joined Facebook groups, and they were talking about hammies. Yeah.
3: So yeah. I said,
1: well, what's a hammy? And they said, oh, it's a hammered coin. Like, well, what's a hammered coin? You know, we really were... Uh,
3: Quite green. Yeah, yeah,
1: very, very green yeah. about the whole thing.
3: And how long ago did you start metal detecting?
1: I started in November, three years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so and it,
3: that was 2017. Yeah, And I started in the April 2018. And that's where we met. We actually met metal detecting. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. So you relative newbies to be finding massive, important treasure as well. Yeah, we do put in the hours though. Yeah, we We, we
1: go at least once a week, every week, twice a week if we can, especially in the summer when you can stay out longer, it's easier.
0: Yeah, yeah. Are there good times of year for metal detecting? Does it fit with the farming calendar and things like that? Is it easier to detect in ploughed fields?
1: Yeah, the summer is the worst time to go because the earth is just so dry. It's really good to go in the cold weather, in the wet weather. You get much better signals Signals, that way and it's easier to dig as well. And and I always feel bad about every single hole that I dig in the ground, whether it's going to disturb the soil and, and look bad afterwards. So we're really, really careful to put everything back as if we'd never been there at all. And that's much easier to do in the winter.
0: It must be nice if you could get out in the nice weather, though, to do it, in the longer days and the nice warm sunshine. It must be frustrating that it's better in the cold and the wet.
3: Yes.
1: It's incredibly difficult to dig in the hot weather. It's hot for a start. You've got the flies, and it's just very, very difficult to put your uh, spade down into the soil when it's dry.
0: So what can you tell us about where you made this incredible find? How did you come to be in that
3: area doing some metal detecting? So uh, what we do is... Uh, hang on. I don't
1: think we should
3: say all that. Yeah, yeah we don't want to give our secret away. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, no problem at all. Trade secrets.
0: We'll just cut to a bit where you've already told me all of this secretly so I can go out and find some really nice treasure yeah. <laughs> and
3: nobody else will know. My brother lives in Easingwold, uh, which is in North Yorkshire, just south of York. And um, this particular permission, we decided to try and tie a weekend away. And visit my brother, so we managed to find some accommodation, and then I rang around a few farmers, and we luckily came across this farmer called Patrick, who he said, "Well, I've got crop on the field, but there's a tiny little strip," and he said, "You're more than welcome to come along and and yeah, spend a, spend your time."
1: There was a strip where the yeah, crop, it, had tr- failed, crop had failed. actually but failed. It was only a tiny wee yeah, bit. it was
3: maybe 150 meters long, 50 meters wide on a 45 acre field. So we thought, well, you know, why not? We, you know, it, It's uh, different metal detecting on historic ground. And when we arrived, it wasn't until we arrived, then we knew where we were. We knew we were going to Sheriff Hutton, but we didn't really know the significance until we got there. Sheriff Hutton was really important historically. And it's it,
1: close to York.
3: Yeah, it's close to York, but back in the early Middle Ages, it, it was actually a bigger town, than York itself. there were, I think there were 7,000 inhabitants of Sheriff Hutton when I think there was only maybe 2,000 in York itself. So it was a very, very important place. We knew it had links to the Neville family and uh, Warwick the Kingmaker and Richard III and also King Stephen. There's a Saxon Mott and Bailey castle on this farmland with medieval ridge and furrow Feel. So we knew that the area was historically really important. So we spent some time there, but we actually didn't find anything. I
1: found a hammered
3: coin. First time, around, First time a, round, a, yeah. a Henry VIII sovereign penny, which is tiny.
1: It was just in that little patch where the crop had failed. That's yeah, where I found yeah, it. Yeah,
3: but we were finding enough targets to really keep us interested you know some little bits of broken buckles and musket balls which are always uh, and we, good we to just get
1: really inherently knew that there was going to be something yeah, yeah. there had, to, there be had to be something really good there we just felt that it had to yeah, be yeah and
3: with the number of footpaths that were all coming really, together really
1: old footpath, ancient footpaths on ancient fields yeah, in it, a, it just a place ha- with yeah, such history yeah. going back for hundreds and hundreds of years
3: yeah and then we spent a couple of days there we got on well with patrick and his partner uh, natasha and we had a lovely time and off we went and then a couple of weeks later i got a text message from pat and he said if you're interested i've just taken the whole crop off the fields it's all been harvested why don't you come back and see if you can find something so we did and take it over Puffy. <laughs> so
1: we arrived was it the very first day
3: yeah the very first day yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so we had a cup of tea
1: I don't even know if we, did we have that Yeah, too? yeah, we
3: did because we're ordering a new coil for the oh, that's detector. Right. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. We hadn't had many finds over the last few weeks, and we thought we'd try a bigger coil. So we spent most of the journey organising this new big coil for the machine, and and that was ordered. So we're feeling quite positive about that. And then, as soon as we arrived pat came over and he said uh all oh, right hi are you going straight out and we were like yeah yeah definitely and <laughs> uh, we'd been looking forward to this and yeah. we were really excited that the fact that the uh, soil had been raked and and oh, everything it's that perfect, was yeah isn't it? everything that was in crop before yeah. was just yeah. completely flat so yeah that's a metal detectorist dream as well so we headed out to where we'd been before but uh, the field that was completely covered in crops was also completely raked. So we, we both said, oh, well, let's try that one first. So we went over there and Ian went to the back of the field and I stayed by the gate. I like gateways. I think that, you know, so many people will go through that one spot. The chances of finding something are much higher than going into the middle of the field, I feel. But it's, it's not necessarily true, but it's just what I feel. So uh, I was there and then I found a Hammered coin.
3: Yeah, we think of James the First.
1: Yeah. 1605. Oh, no, actually, just before this, I should mention, I I had had a couple of phone calls as we were walking to the field, and it just made me really annoyed. You know those adverts that you get when people ring up and say, oh, have you been in an accident lately that wasn't your fault? But when you're all dressed up to go metal detecting, it's so annoying when you have to stop and answer the phone. You have to put your detector down, put your spade down, take your gloves off, take your uh, headphones off, and then find your your phone and then answer it, and it's an advert. It's just, I was really frustrated. All that effort for a call you didn't want anyway.
3: Yeah. Yeah, you don't want it anyway.
1: <laughs> and that happened twice on the really, really short walk to this field. And so I was quite annoyed by the time I got there. And so we just started and I was just, oh, just come on, let's just get this done. Let's just start detecting. And yeah, just found this coin almost immediately, and I messaged Ian on the. Did we have the walkie talkies? Yeah, walkie talkies. Yeah. And I said, "Oh, hammered." And he said, "Oh God, I can't believe it already." And then shortly after that, I found a type in. Not very interesting, and and I think it's it was silver. I'm not sure it was silver coloured. Anyway, it was there for about half an hour, and and I was getting a bit fed up, and I thought, "Oh, I'm going to go back to where I found the hammered coin the previous time." So I went through the kissing gates and at that point, through that gate, it's where some footpaths actually converge. Yeah, there's at
3: least four Four. footpaths. Yeah,
1: they all come together in this one point.
3: And I think also it's very close to the moat of the Motton Bailey as well. Mm -hmm. So it's just a busy intersection, Mm -hmm. isn't it? Mm
1: Yeah, so I moved on to there, but because of all the footpaths, you get quite a lot of people walking past. And I don't know if you've seen that episode of Detectorists, where they're starting to detect and there's walkers coming through the field and every walker comes along and start talking Have to, to and they, they, they say hello and he says oh hang on a minute and he does that thing you know he has to put the detector down put the spade down take the headphones off and say yes and they say detecting are you <laughs> so they say, yes you found anything no Oh, good luck then. And then he puts it all back on, and then somebody else comes along. He has to do the same, and like, oh, just leave us alone. Well, anyway, so I, I saw these walkers, and I thought, oh, that's exactly what's going to happen. And I've already taken all this stuff off twice to answer the phone. So as I saw this person coming towards me, I moved towards them and then turned my back to the footpath so I didn't catch anybody's eye, so I could just carry on with it. And as I did that, I took one foot. Onto the ploughed field, and that's where I got the signal. That's where I immediately got the signal.
3: Yeah, it was sort of six inches into the ploughed yeah, field. Just one footstep yeah. into
1: the ploughed yeah. field where all these footpaths came together. And I thought, oh, all right, dig it out. What is it? It's coming up as a, a 14 on the equinox. But I'd never found gold before and I I didn't really, uh, you know, when I get a 14, normally, as you dig down, the numbers can change. So if it goes up to a 15, it could be a hammered coin or it could be a sheep tag or it could be a ring pull. 15 is a ring pull. Or the numbers can go down and it can be a bit of lead or just, you know, just a bit of rubbish or a button or something. But as I dug down, the numbers didn't change at all. So that was giving me quite a good indication this could actually be something special. And Ian said that 14 is gold. So I was thinking, oh, maybe, maybe. So then I dug it up and I could just see a glint of gold, but it's never anything that good. As a metal detectorist, your chances of finding something really, truly amazing are so remote, it's hardly even worth thinking about. So I thought it was a sheep tag, which turns out it it looks gold when you take the soil off or a ring pull, They're, they're normally gold as well. But as I rubbed it off, I could see that it wasn't either of those things and it was in the shape of what looked like a little book. But I didn't have my glasses on. It's really hard to have your glasses on and have your headphones on because it presses against the ears on the, the arms of the glasses and it, it hurts after a while. So no glasses. I'm quite blind without my glasses. And I'm thinking, what is this? And I could feel that it was quite heavy as well. And I thought, well, it looks gold. And I thought maybe it was something that had fallen off a charm bracelet or or maybe something from a gift shop from a castle or something. Or, you know, when you go to the Abbey gift shops and they did reproductions of things, I thought it was something like that. So I thought, oh, it looks pretty from what I can see. So I took a photo and sent it to our friend, which is actually, it was a group messenger thing. So I sent it to Ian and one of our friends. And once I'd taken a photo of it and sent it, I could actually blow the picture up, you know, on my phone so I could see it properly. And I could see what looked like these medieval people on both pages. And I thought, oh, that looks really special, actually. That looks really, really nice. And I thought, but what is it? I just, I've never seen anything like this before. What is it if it's not a charm off a charm bracelet? So then I posted it onto one of the really big Facebook metal detecting groups, which has got tens of thousands of people in it. I thought somebody will be able to tell me what it is if I put it on there nobody did. And they were just saying, wow, that's amazing. And what is it? Wow, it's incredible. And that was the only comments I was getting. Nobody was saying, oh, yeah, I know what that is. It's a whatever. And so then I was starting to get a bit like, oh, god, well, maybe this is really, really special. And then I rang Ian. Well, I don't normally, i have normally run over to him dancing up and down saying, oh, look what I found. But this time I couldn't because I was shaking so much with excitement. And he said, what? (laughs) Because he'd already seen the photo. And I said, "Uh, can you come over here and look at this? And he said, well, you come over to me. And I was like, no, I can't. I literally, I can't move you. They'll have to come over. So then he started walking over in a really sulky fashion, didn't you? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And then I started doing my gold dance, which is pretty much hammered coin and silver and gold doing this dance. And he wouldn't even look at me. He wouldn't even lift his head up and look at me and join in the dance or anything. And then he just came over, he took it off me and said, what did you say? You said, this is, is really, really, important. really important. You said, they're going to take this off you and you're never going to see it again. I said, no, shut up, <laughs> shut up. That's not, no, no. <laughs> and he said, just put it in your pocket. And I said, well, i I need to go back and have a cup of tea or sit down or something. And I was just shaking so much. And Ian says, "No way! I'm going back out detecting." <laughs> so he refused to take me back to where we we're staying so I could have a cup of tea. And I couldn't move. I was just standing there, and then I tried sitting down. That didn't help either. And yeah, eventually you came back, didn't you, after about an hour, after not finding anything. Was
0: that an hour of desperately trying to find something better? Yeah,
3: yeah, 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 which you couldn't. Well, no, no, that's not true. I did, I did did find a medieval gold on silver ring, quite close. It's a potential treasure (laughs) item, also. No, it's not
1: as good. But then, but in that time, Ian had contacted. Our yeah, yeah. Officer.
3: Within ten minutes of yeah. it being found. Yeah, it's the we, first thing we did. I'd sent photographs of it to an archaeological friend of ours mm. called Dot Broughton, mm. and she messaged back almost immediately, saying, "That is significant."
1: And then we contacted, oh, because I put it on Facebook, we then had a, a phone, phone call, call from, from Jules, yeah. uh, Julian, who is the editor, editor of... of the Treasure Hunting magazine. And he was so super excited, uh, uh, well over the top, and that just added to my excitement. Yeah, yeah. And he's saying, oh, this is a... Is
0: that when you let yourself get a little bit excited, thinking this might actually really yeah, be something? Yeah, because
1: I didn't, just didn't believe it. I just didn't believe that I had actually found something as special as everybody was suggesting, and I'm still reluctant to actually let myself go and truly believe it. But he was saying, yeah, this is really, really important. And he was like, wow, wow, Buffy, I can't believe it, wow. And,
3: yeah. We were having a chat last night, actually, and because there was about an hour's window after it had been found where everything just accelerated exponentially, didn't mm. it? And it was from... When I looked at the image, I said, I think on the right-hand side... Is the graphic of a Not medieval king, and and that's his archbishop on the left hand side, or
1: something like that. You
3: know, yeah. and I, so I thought, you know, it, it's so
1: tiny, yeah. As so well. yeah, it's so, it, so small. it was difficult to
3: read first of all. So I kind of knew it was medieval, and I knew it, it had some kind of monarch connotations it's to a it because of the crown. And then within this hour, it went from that to becoming associated with the Middleham Jewel. And yeah. we couldn't quite remember the link, how, how it jumped so quickly. I think it was just it so many people so had commented
1: on it. So somebody did actually point out that the figure on the right was St Margaret of Antioch with her dragon, uh, which I'd never heard of. And then the suggestion was that it was St Peter on the left yeah, with yeah. his keys to heaven. Yeah. It went and when you a... looked at it, that did kind of make sense. Yeah. So then we were looking up who St Margaret was and we found out that she was the patron saint of difficult childbirth and pregnancy and found out all about her history too, that she was supposedly born in 300 AD and a, a Roman prefect had proposed to her but said if you want to marry me you've got to renounce your Christian beliefs and go back to being a pagan but she refused to and then she was put in a room and tortured and one of the tortures was being put in the room with the devil who appeared as a dragon and then the dragon swallowed her but because of her strong Christian beliefs she held up the cross that she was holding and that either irritated the innards of the dragon which then burst open and she emerged unharmed or he just coughed her back up, well, depending on which story you want to go with, but it's not supposed to have even um, existed in the first place. But then Joan of Arc said that she was one of the voices she heard, and that's when she just rose to stardom in the medieval ages, because uh, of, of Joan of Arc said she heard a voice. So anyway, she became a venerated patron saint, Roman Catholics, in that time for childbirth and pregnancy. And then we couldn't work out why on the left-hand side was St Peter. Why did you have somebody with the keys to heaven? What did that have to do with childbirth and pregnancy? What did they have to do with each other? And then I was thinking, do I know somebody who's uh, quite religious? Mm. We have a Facebook friend, David, whose husband is a retired... Reverend. Reverend. I hope I got that right. Um, The the
3: Priory in Lancaster.
1: Yeah. And so we sent him the photos and said, would you mind asking your husband if he has any idea what this is? He's friends with a professor of medieval history at Oxford. So he sent that to him and he said, no, it's not St Peter. It is St Leonard. And St Leonard is also a patron saint of childbirth and pregnancy. And I thought, now that makes sense. So now we've got the two patron saints of the same thing.
3: And that's kind of where we came in with you, because I think you mentioned they were two of the 39 venerated saints of the Neville family. I'm Professor Susanna Lipscomb, and in my podcast, Not Just the Tudors, we talk about everything from sex to spying, wardrobes to witch trials. Not, in other words, just the Tudors, but most definitely
0: also the Tudors. Subscribe from History Hit wherever you get your podcasts. Here's
1: a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact...
0: I think when I check through, when Richard III established his college at Midland, they were amongst the saints that he ordered to be venerated. So they must have had currency in that region. You know, they must have meant something in that region, which would tie in with somebody who lived around there, having them engraved onto this item that they used. And it obviously bearing some reference to childbearing or childbirth or that kind of thing. So, Did you find out anything about what you think it is? what the actual item is. It's got a hole that runs all the way through, it, hasn't it, down sort of the spine of the book, effectively?
1: So it was suggested that it might have been a page marker, so a piece of a leather thong would have passed through the hole that goes through the spine, and then that may have been used in a Bible or whatever, you know, a book, a manuscript that the person was reading. And then it was suggested by the Richard Third Society, I think, that it may have been part of a birthing girdle or a virgin's girdle, and um, we'd never heard of that either, so they, we looked all of that up too. Oh, yeah, and a terminal bead on a rosary, possibly.
0: Yeah, but it's difficult to tell, I guess, at this early stage, exactly what it might have been. Yeah, yeah. But we
1: have been told that people within those times would not have ever owned gold. They weren't allowed to own gold, were they? Uh,
3: yeah, peasants, serfs, weren't allowed to even touch gold. It, it was only the very noble and and royal households that could have gold objects.
1: So for somebody to have had this commission, to even have been able to be in that position where they could have gold, but then to have enough money to have an item like this commissioned in very pure gold, there must have been high status or or even royalty that's been suggested to us.
0: Yeah. So not just even rich enough to have been able to afford the gold to have it made, but noble enough, high enough up the elite of society to be allowed to have it.
1: Yeah, and it's yeah. just, it's the most stunning piece. I've never seen anything like it. When we washed the soil off and held it into the sunlight, yeah, it, I've just, yeah. I've never seen, I mean, I've heard the, the expression, you know, or that glitters isn't gold, you know, so gold glitters, but not like this. It's just the most amazing uh, piece of jewellery when you hold it into the sunlight it doesn't just sparkle it's like you're looking at a diamond there are rainbows that come off it and i'd never seen that before and i thought i was seeing things so then we went to our goldsmith friend jonathan and i said this to him and he said what you actually saw that i said yeah and he said that is an indication of its purity he said he'd only seen that once before in silver very very pure silver so it must be uh, it must have cost an awful lot of money to have been made
3: Quite interestingly, gold will come out of the ground untarnished. Oh,
1: yeah. yeah. So,
3: so that, yeah, that's, that's you, how it's it, ca- yeah, yeah, yeah. it
1: comes out the same as it goes yeah. into the ground, no matter how long it's been in the ground.
0: Yeah, so it doesn't rust or anything like that. So you, if you clean it up and it's gold, there's a fair chance it actually really is gold. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's heavy. Incredible. So what happens now? So this was a couple of months ago you found this. What is happening with it now? Does it need to be declared as treasure? Does it go through a process?
1: We contacted the Fines Liaison Officer almost immediately. Yeah,
3: I got a phone call into the auction museum the morning after to declare it. And Emily, the Fines Liaison Officer, phoned back a couple of days later after she received the photographs and was really, really excited. And you have 14 days to declare the find. So we were well within those 14 days. And because of COVID, they've been quite reluctant to invite people in to hand finds over. However, because of the uh, significance of this find, they were quite keen for us to go straight over to York and hand it in. So I think that was about three weeks ago.
1: It was three weeks after we'd made the finds so it was probably yeah. five weeks ago. Was it for, gosh, yeah. it
3: not been that long? Yeah. yeah.
1: we did everything we were supposed to do as soon as we were you know yeah as soon as we got it we started the process because we're very responsible (laughs) detectorists we know the law the treasure act and everything that we're supposed to do and when we did that just as i said it's just so beautiful i wanted to be able to share it with as many people as possible and thought of it being in a museum for the whole world to see that's the detectorist dream i think
0: so do you think the Portable Antiquity Scheme and the Treasure Act is a good thing that works? I wonder whether some people think the temptation might be to just slip it in your pocket. Well, and... so
1: many people have said to us and to me, especially on Facebook and not on the internet, they've said, "Oh, you must be mad, I'd have just kept that. Yeah. But what's the point the, in just the, keeping it?
3: The thing is, it weighs five grams. So it's less than 200 pounds worth of gold. There's... So if you don't declare its history... If you were to steal that and try and sell it on the black market, you would not get anything for it. So they call it nighthawking that can go without permission onto farmland or any privately owned land and steal objects because that's what they're doing and make money from It's it so naive, it's untrue. The most responsible thing to do is declare it.
1: You'll benefit from it. If it goes into a museum, that's the first benefit, that other people will be able to see it and other people will be able to share in the history, in our history, that it's been lost to the soil before you found it. So that's the most amazing thing, that it's been found and been shared. Um, It belongs to the Crown. You can't steal it. It's a criminal offence and you will go to jail if you try to do that. I would never be so selfish as to do that. You do get a finder's fee, but that's not the main reason why we do this. You would never go into metal detecting thinking you are going to make money because it's very, very unlikely to happen.
3: Yeah, and we've never ever set out to think, oh, let's start metal detecting because we might make some money out of it. That was never...
1: You'll be disappointed if that's why you're doing metal detecting. We do it because we love the history.
3: We've actually got two other items going through the treasure trove process at the moment. Another one is a medieval gold brooch and it looks like a curtain ring. So it's you know compared to the the, the little gold Bible, it's but, very very plain indeed. And is that one that Ian found, Buffy? Yeah, that, yeah, yes. yeah. I did actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Very plain. I, yeah, I, I do make the the better finds. No. Um, and when when we get that back, we're actually going to give it straight to the landowner, and he's going to gift it to the church.
1: The curtain ring. This is the yeah,
3: about. the curtain ring. So. It, I really don't understand people who really believe that they can make money out of metal detecting. It's just not, it's not, it's not going to happen. It's, I mean, yeah, well, I mean, it's it, very,
1: very rarely yeah, happens. Yeah. You're, you're extremely lucky. We feel very, very, very lucky that this to have happened to us. But I mean, the piece that we have found, this little gold book, it's never been seen before, I and mean, people are saying, "Oh, it looks like a Pandora charm." It does. Look it look like does. A fan, it does look like a Pandora it, it charm. But <laughs> it is the only thing, as far as we know at the moment, until the academics look at it and confirm it nobody else has ever seen anything like this from that time and, maybe uh, modern days yeah. yes but not from that age
3: and buffy was the first person to see that for 550 other years yeah maybe It'd more. Been, yeah been lying in the ground and you were the first person to see it after it had been lost which is amazing
0: It's an incredible thought but i suppose as you say the value of those things isn't in the gold that's in it anymore the value is in the item that it is and the history that it has and the stories that it could
3: tell. Yeah, Yeah.
1: and people have been saying on the internet as well, there's all sorts of really, really lovely comments and contributions to it, and they're saying, you just cannot understand, in this day and age, you cannot understand how important this piece must have been to the owner, that they've placed their life in praying to this item, possibly, to bring religious protection or, or magical protection, whichever way you want to look at it, to get them pregnant in the first place, which was so important as an aristocrat to have a child, well, most importantly, to have a a son and to survive childbirth because 30 to 60 percent of women died in childbirth in those times. So they'd have been placing their life in their, well, the hands, (laughs) figuratively speaking, of this little gold book.
0: And I think it's drawn lots of comparisons to the Midland Jewel, which was found near Midland Castle, sort of not too far away from Sheriff Hutton. And I've compared it to the Midland Jewel. It looks strikingly similar to me. And it does beg the question how these two incredibly precious and valuable things that had religious significance as well as high monetary value, how do they end up being lost? I mean do you have any thoughts? That's what we were saying how
1: careless are people (laughs) you know were they purposely buried to hide them or did they lose them we just don't know but what were people doing with their possessions throwing them around in fields (laughs) yeah it's uh yeah quite incredible. I've
0: said especially if they do have a connection because obviously this are both areas that relate to particularly the Neville family over this period and as we've said you know gets into Richard III and You know, we can throw in Warwick the Kingmaker and his wife Anne Beecham, you know, the really famous Beecham-Warwick family. So there are some significant people who it could relate to. And if these jewels are connected in any kind of way, that they relate to the same family, it would seem like losing one of them would be careless. But to lose two of them would be downright disastrous and silly. So... I mean, I've wondered whether there was some significance to them being buried. If they relate to childbirth, is it an act of thanks or grief? Maybe if it it didn't go either way, or were they buried when the Reformation sweeps north? You know, these things become dangerous potentially, but if they have some kind of sentimental value and significance to the person that they don't want to throw away, were they buried to be recovered potentially at some point later as part of that? Or, you know, even... If it relates to the Neville family and Richard III, there's so much going on in the Wars of the Roses. Could it have been a moment of crisis for that family at some point in the second half of the 15th century up to the end of Bosworth, the Battle of Bosworth? A moment of crisis where they've gone out and buried their goods to keep them safe.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, that's what people did at the time, isn't it? Yeah, I did wonder if it was to do with the Reformation when Henry VIII came along and said, right, Roman Catholics, you are not allowed to practice anymore and you're not allowed to pray to these idols and these things anymore. And so somebody may have gone out, because it's so important to them, buried it, um, so it wasn't found.
0: you wonder whether they might have felt like this was all a flash in the pan, you know, this would come along and then it would go away and I don't want to lose this precious thing to me that has lots of monetary value but has religious significance and perhaps if it was a charm that worked they wanted to keep it and they thought you know when this all blows over i can go and get it back i don't want it to be melted down or repurposed or whatever else so perhaps they thought this would all blow over you know not realizing that it'd be 500 odd years before buffy would come along and pull it out of the ground again
1: yeah, it really is going down a wormhole, and you get completely lost yeah, in your imagination yeah. of what was going on. Well, we do know that it was all ancient forest. Yeah, I was in just trying area. to
3: remember the name um, of the forest.
1: So somebody may have been walking along the forest line in the dark, dropped it. There's no lights that you yeah, can no, put no out no your pockets. There's no street lights.
3: There's no torches. You can't get your smartphone
1: out. No, uh, so it may have been that, or like you say, burying it for yeah, for deliberately buried,
3: or yeah, yeah.
1: Because it would be incredibly careless to lose such important items like that.
0: That have similar purposes as well. You know, the Midland Jewel strongly relates to sort of childbirth and protection and things like that. So two items that have the same kind of purpose for the owner to have been lost relatively close to each other is quite odd and striking, I think, if they were just accidentally lost and dropped. So what happens now? What's the process? Do we have a coroner's inquiry? into the treasure and what happens to it then?
1: We handed it into the Yorkshire Museum where we were told that the academics were very excited to look at it and they would zap it and they would x-ray it and poke and prod it and decide what it was. And that could be a quick process because it would be fast-tracked because everyone's so excited by it. Or the sheer volume of people that want to look at it could extend it. It could take two years. It could take longer. We don't know how long it's going to take. But they will make their decision, what they think it is. And then from there, it goes in front of a panel.
3: Yeah, to be valued... And then it'll be offered to a museum for purchase. And All we hope the, the Yorkshire Museum
1: We hope so, yeah. Will, that it, will take and we, it. we hope that it will go with the Midland Jewel. if yeah. if the, yeah, if, if the association is right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All the museums are open to bid on it, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. And if they, nobody can afford it or they decide they don't want it, then it gets returned.
3: Yeah.
1: And then it can be uh, sold awesome. private. That would be the worst case scenario because we really want people to be able to see it.
3: Yeah, yeah. Wow.
0: I mean, you must just be in a complete daze at the moment with all of this going on.
1: Definitely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just uh, still, I well, I don't know about you, Ian, but I'm still struggling to actually believe it is as important as everyone says it is, even though we've done all the research and it all points to that. It's just too Wild, isn't it? Because I just never expected this to happen. Like I said in the start, and now it may possibly have happened. I just I find it difficult to accept.
0: I think what I'm going to take away then is we need competitive metal detecting that gets Ian into a bad mood, and your best metal detecting
3: is done in gateways when you're angry. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I, I'm yeah, the kind or, or of team. I, I'm the
3: team manager. I organise everything. It does. I secure all the permissions. I, I book everything. Get
1: everything.
3: the sandwiches. I, yeah, I, I lead to the van to make sure she doesn't get lost, and yeah, I it's true. take her there. And then she finds all the good stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
1: He does all the driving as
3: well. <laughs> yeah. Do all. The... That's teamwork, though, isn't it? That's teamwork. Yeah. No. Yes. It's a great pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Well,
0: fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. And I hope Dave the dog is coping with the fireworks that have been going on a bit for you as well. It's gone nice and quiet now. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. I mean, it's so exciting to think what we might discover about this wonderful artefact over the coming months and years. And hopefully we'll all be able to go and visit it in a museum at some point very soon. I do also quite like the little Wars of the Roses reference to Lancashire people heading off into Yorkshire to go treasure hunting. (laughs) That appeals to my Wars of the Roses interest. Join Dr Kat Jarman on Tuesday for another brand new episode and don't forget to subscribe to Gone Medieval wherever you get your podcasts from and tell all of your friends and family that you've gone medieval. While I've got you, I would like to recommend an episode of Not Just the Tudors, also from History Hit. It's entitled The Ottoman Renaissance and it's a fascinating discussion of something that I studied at school, the Ottoman Empire, but which doesn't get as much attention as maybe it should. Susanna Lipscomb sets about putting that right in this episode. Anyway, I'd better let you go. I've been Matt Lewis, and we've just gone medieval with History Hit.
2: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started thank you for listening
0: to this episode of gone medieval please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts it really helps us out and you'll be doing me a big favor Don't forget you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com forward slash subscribe. As a special gift, you can also get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use the code medieval at checkout.